0: Well, good morning and welcome to Gateway. All of you, we're glad that you're here with us this morning, especially if it is your first time. We're so glad uh, to have you and glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning uh you know first service uh, steve said uh, i heard this pastor recently pastor and i got nervous uh, i was like <laughs> what, what did i say and you know i made that joke and then uh at the end when i was praying i said god thank you for creating me your creation is so beautiful and uh you know uh i was saying a lot of things uh so uh yeah, yeah here we are I, hey uh All of you that came out, might have come out yesterday for uh, the Putnam County Backpack Buddy Packing Day, Uh, thank you so much. Uh, This is uh, just an incredible event, and they ended up coming out and being able to uh, pack 3, 000, over 3,000 boxes uh, for kids in Putnam County. For those that you who don't know this, this program, uh, when summer, when the schools let out for the summer, a lot of kids, uh, they don't have their food and their lunch anymore. And, and so uh, there are kids all over Putnam County that depend on this program throughout the summer. And so uh, people come out, they pack these boxes, and then they get sent throughout the summer to these kids. Uh, And just think about all the homes being impacted uh, by this this organization and so uh, we love partnering with them and I I love that Uh, we get to go out and families get to serve together. All ages get to serve together and uh, partner with other people in our community and other churches in our community uh, as well. And so it's really a great event. You know, unfortunately I wasn't able to to go yesterday. Uh, My family and I were out of town. Uh, My dad tore his rotator cuff uh, back in February because he tried to catch himself on some ice. This is the second time in his life that he's torn a rotator cuff, catching himself on some ice. I'm getting him ice skates for Christmas. And so uh, he's recovering from that. He had surgery at the beginning of April. And so uh, they have quite a bit of land. And so uh, he can't mow it or take care of it, uh, and so my brother and I and uh, my oldest nephew, we had we we're taking rotations every couple weeks. We we travel there. We all live uh, two and a half hours away, so we all travel there and, and uh, mow for a day uh, for four and a half hours or six or however long it takes, and uh, you get a nice suntan or burn, and then you come back. But uh, it's good. And you know I, I, what I, what has made me laugh is uh, the first time I was there, the neighbors. Uh, they had two different neighbors come and check on them, or I heard about two neighbors checking on them uh, because the grass was so high. Well, (laughs) your grass was high. I knew something had to be wrong. You had to be sick, or your wife was sick, or you had surgery or something, because there's no way your grass would ever be that high if you were okay. And so... I guess it's good to have neighbors that care about you, and it's good to be known for things. Uh, But uh, that that made me laugh. Uh, But I I kind of bring that up to say, last week uh, after the service, I was handed an envelope, and uh, the font on the front kind of looked like it was from the family of wingdings, and I couldn't decide whether I was getting the Da Vinci code or a ransom note inside, Uh, but... I opened it up to find just this tremendously generous gift from, I don't know how many, I, I've received very little information on this, and it's it really is kind of scary how much can go on in a church that you're a campus minister of that you don't know about, uh, but uh, after I got over that, I, I was just, Ashley and I were just uh, in uh, we were blown away by the generosity of, of our congregation, and for the love and the care that you showed for us. And uh, so, if you had a part in it, uh, thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, just carry on. Uh, here we go. But hey, uh, we're uh, we're pretty much in summer now. It's June already, if you can believe it. The kids are out of school for the summer. Uh, you know, it was 90 most of last week. It was hot. The splash pad's open. Uh, the The pool is open unless you live in Nitro. And uh, and while it might not be uh, summer officially on the calendar, it sure seems like this year, uh, Memorial Day truly was the unofficial start of summer. And many of you have already started camping in or, or vacationing, though I realized first service as I was saying this, that if you've already started that, you probably aren't hearing me speak right now. Uh, But maybe uh, if you're here, you have plans coming up uh, to to go camping or start your vacation. And, you know, I know my family is eagerly awaiting our vacation this year. And especially with the end of school so close in our rearview mirror, I mean, we're just chomping at the bit to get out there and get away uh, from life for a little bit. You know, before we all head out, though, I, I do want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to attend church this summer, wherever you might find yourself. If you go to the beach, find a nice coastal church to, to, to visit. You can go in your beach shirt. I, I, I think shoe shirt and shoes are required still, but you can go in your beach gear and, and you'll fit right in. You know, uh, you know, uh, guys. I know you have those nice like white linen shirts, and you can you can relax and go to a nice beach church. If you go to the mountains, you maybe you can find a nice small community church. Though I would caution to be careful which small community church you find yourself in. Uh, try to stay within the brotherhood. You might get into some weird stuff down in the mountains. Uh, And no matter where you go, you can always join us online and your family can have a nice COVID throwback worship service right there in your kitchen with pancakes and bacon and some saltines and grape juice. You know, if nothing else, COVID gave us uh, the ability to uh, have church in our kitchen. And so, Uh, You know, I'm not going to be keeping tabs on you. That would be too much work. Uh, But, you know, we don't have a chart out in the lobby with stars each week you're here. But I will say that if you go the whole summer without going to church it's going to be hard to pick it up back in August. You're going to find a lot more reasons to not wake up, and it's going to be harder for the kid to get the kids out of the house. And if you get out of that routine, you're going to find yourself being like, well, I mean, I did all right without it. And then you're going to be trying to do life without your family here at church. You know, Satan has this way of working on you and kind of convincing you of like, I don't really need it. I mean, I feel like I'm doing okay. I feel like we did all right. We don't have to go back to church. It's not that important. And then pretty soon you find yourself being one of those 181 million people we talked about last week that mark the box Christian, but they're not in church every Sunday. And it can be real easy to fall into that. So I encourage you, even if it's not here, well, obviously, if you're here, you better be here, but wherever you go this summer, try to be engaging in a worship service somewhere. Now, I also want to encourage you, speaking of being with friends or doing these different things, to, I'd encourage you to spend time in community with one another as you're able. You know, the family of God is the best community that you can be a part of. We talked about that last week. And with us not doing our groups here at the church during the summer, it well this provides you the opportunity to get together with one another and maybe people you actually like. Maybe you don't like the people in your group. So you can get together with your actual friends this summer. And, and I love my group. I, I see some of you here. I, I, that's not me. I, I, I love mine. You know, maybe you can get, get together for burgers and dogs, or maybe you can just do s'mores. Maybe you can get together for coffee with, with some people from the church or with some other Christians, or, or maybe you can all meet at the park together. For play dates. I, I believe that we are all looking, we're seeking community somewhere. And you might try to isolate, you might try to do the things on your own, but we are seeking community specifically in the family of God. And this is something that I can speak from personal experience. I know I long to have that community, and I go the whole summer and without that then I'm going to be missing out on something. You know, we take a break from our groups because so many people travel during the summer and it's hard to staff, it's hard to be here, but that doesn't mean we all need to take a break from community. That doesn't mean that life stops and you don't need other people in your life to encourage you, to keep you accountable. And so find community. Even though we're not organizing it here, find ways to have community with one another throughout the summer. As we turn the calendar to June, uh, it's also time for us to turn to a a new sermon series. And as you might have guessed, uh, we're doing a new series called The Themes of Genesis. And so we're going to go through the book of Ruth. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to go through the book of Genesis and do like a broad overview of what this book is trying to tell us. Now, many of our foundational truths about God and our own existence are presented here in the first book of the Bible. And so we want this series to be an introduction to or a reminder of these foundational truths. Remember that last month during that family life series, we we said over and over again that our families should be built on a traditional biblical marriage. And that was a foundational truth that we found in the book of Genesis. And so I'm excited about not just this series, but also our whole summer here at Gateway, because at some point in the summer later on, once we complete the themes of Genesis, we're going to move over and do a similar series about the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. And if we can begin to understand how things got started and maybe how things are going to end then perhaps things in the middle will make a little more sense to us. You know, life, it all started in a garden under a tree, under the tree of life. And it's going to end in a new garden under that same tree of life. And, and so let's see how it began. Let's see how it's going to end and try to make sense of the middle. But for today, you can turn your Bibles, if you have them, to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to be reading through a big chunk of that. And so you can turn there and be ready uh, to read through it with us. Now, you might have read this before many times. In fact, maybe you've read it because most of the time when we start a new Bible reading plan or we just go, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to read the Bible this time. Where do you always start? Well, you always start at the beginning of the book, just like any other book. You know, you start at the beginning and you try to learn the story. Now, some of you might read books. You might try to cheat. And skip to the end. If I could encourage you, it would be not to skip to the end and start with the end of the Bible, because things get weird real quick. They get a little scary. And if you don't know what happened before that, you might be like, ah, whoa, I, I ain't reading the rest of that. If that's the ending, I'm not reading the beginning. So we start in the beginning a lot of times. Genesis 1 1, we start with the creation story. And so you probably heard this a few times. You probably even heard a sermon or two about it. But I hope that you'll pay attention this morning, even if that's you. Even if you've gone over this numerous times, I hope today you'll listen. I hope today you'll pay attention because today is the most important time that you'll read it or hear about it because today it contains the message that God has for you where you're at in your life right now. This is where God's going to meet you through his word today. So you might've heard it before, but today's the most important time because it's the message that God has for you today. I just hope you're ready. If you weren't ready, you have a a couple minutes here to get yourself ready and, and ready for and receptive to what God has to say this morning. So Genesis 1-1, and it all starts like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Uh, My family is a big baseball family. And just now, my dad, you always tell me that God was a big baseball fan because the Bible starts out with in the big inning. Anyway, that's uh, just a little bit, a little look into my life. Uh, So... (laughs) Now, I want you to imagine with me watching these scenes from the first chapters of the Bible as we read it this morning. Imagine you were reading through it, you were there, you were watching it as if it were a movie. And so the lights are down. Ah. Ambiance, yes. It's like we played that out beforehand. Uh, A large orchestra is playing softly. I didn't play that out beforehand. And then out of nowhere, the main character appears and, well, I imagine it to be something like this. (laughs) I don't know if your brain like mine does. There's nothing, and then suddenly, there it all is. Maybe that's just me. Maybe it wasn't like that at all. It can't be like that because they're out of order. The animals are there. Anyway, in these first couple of verses... We see that God, he doesn't have a fixed form, but rather he's a spirit hovering over the waters. There's no explanation about who he is. There's no backstory about where he came from. No origin story to start out with. He just is. This is God's origin story. He's just there. And after a couple of seconds, he begins to speak. And when God speaks, oh man, things start going into motion. Things start happening. This is where the action starts. Verse 3 And God said, let there be light, and there was light. (laughs) We didn't practice that one, that was great. Uh, uh, Let there be no misunderstanding that I think I'm God, all right? Uh, And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now, interesting to note, there was light And there was darkness here. But what was missing? What has God not created yet? He hasn't created the sun yet. So there was light even before there was the sun. He hadn't created the sun and the moon and the stars until later. But I digress. Verse 6. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. of words. Do you see what's happening here? God is not conjuring up things with his hands. He's not doing things with his hands. He's speaking, and it's happening. The power of words. God created all of this with his words. His words gave life to this earth, gave life to the universe. I cannot overstate the power of words, and we too can give life to to people with our words. Now, obviously it's in a different way because, well, we're not God. But when we speak in love, oh, what power our words can have. So here in the middle of day three, God, he begins to create life. He creates the first vegetation and plants. And then on day four, he creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. On day four, he creates all the fish and the sea creatures and then the birds and the bees. No, no, not those birds and bees. Those don't show up until chapter four. You got to read ahead for that. He, he creates the actual birds and the bees, followed by day six, where he creates all the land animals and creatures that crawl on the earth. And so as we read through these and this creation account, if we were to pick one word to sum up the beginning of the Bible, the beginning of everything, I think we could choose the word life. The life of God himself. The incredible and diverse plant and animal life scattered throughout the earth. And of course, the human life with Adam and then Eve. And if we were to focus on this word life, well, here's what we could say based on these beginning verses of the Bible. First, that all life has intrinsic value. Why? Why does it have intrinsic value? Because God is the author of life. He created it. That means that all life has value built into it, whether it's plant life or animal life or human life. Now, when I say intrinsic value, I don't mean equal value. All things that were created by God do not have equal value. They have intrinsic value. Value. The life of a mosquito or of poison ivy does not have the same value of the life of you or I or even the boss that you don't like at work. You know, God clearly values humans over the rest of his creations. But God did make the mosquito for a reason, and maybe one day when we get to heaven walks, we'll be able to ask God, what in the world that reason was? Why did you create the mosquito? Although I think that actually when we get to heaven, we'll be so enamored by how beautiful and amazing heaven is that we'll forget all of the questions we ever had about this earth. But I've read that, that mosquito larvae is a food source for fish and mosquitoes themselves are a food source for bats. And so if nothing else, they're a food source. And well, that might be all that they're good for, but it's something. They have some sort of value. The greater point here is that God has a purpose for everything that he does, for everything that he creates, for everything he puts into motion. He has a plan for all life. And we might not have discovered all the the science behind that plan or about that plan yet, but it's there. It's waiting to be discovered. God created all life, and that means that all life has value built into it. It has intrinsic value. I love what David writes in Psalm 104 about the work of the Lord. He says, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds built their nest. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. I mean, God was even looking out for the rock badgers. I've never even heard of a rock badger, but he was looking out for them. God created everything with a purpose. Everything goes together. He created it for a purpose, and that's because everything has value to God. He created all of these things to go together because he cares about all these things. And for you and I, that means we should be good stewards of the earth and all that's in it because God created it and therefore he owns it and it has value to him. So it should have value to us. David says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who d- dwell with it therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Now, I'm no tree hugger. I'm not here to give him presentation on global warming this morning. But if the earth belongs to God, if the earth and all that's in it has value to God, shouldn't we at least be good stewards with what he's blessed us with? You know, sometimes when we get into politics, the environment is a big part of our political landscape. And that sometimes it feels like we, we feel the need to stay all the way on one side of the political line because of how we feel about abortion. It's an important issue, perhaps the most important issue. But just because we value human life in the womb and want to speak up for those who can't speak, it doesn't mean that we can't take care of the earth while we're here as well. Why? Because we love God and we recognize that all that he has created has intrinsic value. We certainly don't worship the earth, but we should respect it and care for all that's in it. We don't put a higher value on plants or animals over human life. Yes, even your dog, but we do respect them and care for them. When we consider the life that we find in these first few chapters of Genesis, we also see that all human life has distinctive worth. We all have distinctive worth because we're all made in the image of God. All of us here today, all of us, all humans in the world have been made in the image of God. Genesis 1:26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. See, if your life was the product of random chance, or if you were the author of your own life, well, you could waste it or indulge it however you please. You could end your life whenever you chose because you were the author of your life. It's up to you. If your parents were the true author of your life, well, they would have the right to do or say whatever they wanted. Whatever they chose to do with your life, that's what they could do because they were the author of your life. They would even have the right to end your life before birth if they chose to. And it would be up to them because, well, they were the author. But that's not the case. God is the author of your life. God's the author. He's the author of all life. And that means that, he, that your life has distinctive worth and purpose from the moment of conception until the moment that you draw your last breath. In the ESV translation, there's a footnote in verse 26 after the word man that says that this word Adam is the generic word for mankind, and it became the title or the first name of the first man, Adam. The translated text clues us in on this when it uses the pronoun them in the next line. Let them have dominion over all these things. So this means that both men and women, male and female, we are all made in the image of God. But what does that mean? We might hear that we're made in the image of God, but what does it mean to be made in his image? You know, there's been a lot of discussion and debate about this question. You know, God is a spirit. He's not a human. Except for when he came to this earth in the form of Jesus, God is not in human form. So it's not our human form that makes us the image of God. So if it's not that, well, what is it? Well, the general consensus of the meaning of being made in the image of God includes three things. First, that we are spiritual beings, intelligent and free to make choices, but there are also spiritual consequences to our choices. It also means that we are moral beings with a moral obligation. And it means that we are superior beings over the rest of creation, and we have a caretaker responsibility. And I think if you look at, uh, at humans compared to animals, plants, these things, those things definitely set us apart. We have been made in the image of God. God chose us. You might not feel like you're on your best every single day, but God chose you. He chose humans. We are his Prize possession, the greatest thing that he's ever created. Not the plants, not the mountains, not the birds or the fish. Of all that he created, we bear his image. He chose us. And we all have distinct worth to God. Let's go back to Genesis 1, starting with verse 28. Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And you read through that and you go, wow, man, God is awesome. I mean, he created this whole system to go together. He created everything with a purpose to go together. It goes together because God created it that way. And that's how awesome he is. Indeed, it was very good. And so we learn from this first chapter of Genesis that all life has intrinsic value and human life has distinctive worth. And then when we turn over to chapter two, we learn more details about our existence as human beings. And as you read, you might wonder, why, are there, why do there seem to be two creation stories here? Why, why, are, why is there more than one? And I, let me tell you why. In chapter 1 and and through chapter 2, verse 3, we get all of the creation story in an organizational way. We see what God did day by day leading up to his most impressive work, the creation of humanity. Yes, we are God's masterpiece. And then he ends with a day of rest on day 7. We could preach a whole sermon about that as well and rest. And, And following that, we get the specifics of God's creation of humanity. And you know what we learn about the humanity, about the creation of humanity from those details? I hope you're ready. It's that we came from dirt. We came from dirt, right? You are made up of dirt. And sometimes you might feel like your kids are that way, but actually, we're all from that. That's how everybody, that's how humanity got its start. And so the next time that somebody tells you that you're older than dirt, you can thumb your nose at them and say, no, man was created from dirt. So dirt had to come before man. So ha, I can't be older than dirt. You know, people ask whether the chicken or the egg came first. Perhaps we should be asking whether man or dirt came first. And and now you know the answer. And by the way, the chicken came before the egg because God did not create eggs. He created chickens with the capability of making eggs. And so you can consider yourself educated this morning. You've learned two things. You've learned about man and dirt, which came first, and chicken and egg as well. You can settle any debate now. So so mankind was made from the dirt. But what does that teach us about ourselves? Well, it teaches us that human life is fragile or fragilia. It must be Italian. We we were made from the dust, from the dirt. We we need help. We are fragile. We need God for everything, really. I mean, we need him to even breathe. It's his breath in our lungs. And you might wonder why I say that, but think about it. According to Genesis 2-7, when God made man, he formed a corpse from the dirt, from the dust. And as that lifeless corpse lay there on the ground, right there in front of God, it didn't move. It didn't get up and start walking. It wasn't even breathing. It didn't have any life in it at all. That is, until God breathed into his nostrils and immediately the corpse came to life. There was life now in this corpse. And today, in some sense, we have that same breath within us. Reminds me of the story of the young boy that was downstairs one morning and he comes running downstairs one morning. and He's kind of in a panic, but he's also weirdly excited. And he said, mommy, guess what? I have a man living in my room. Well, the mom dropped everything. She was panicked. She well, a man in your room. This is, this is every mom's worst nightmare. So she races upstairs and races into the boy's room. She's looking frantically all around. She can't find this man anywhere. She looks in the closet. She looks under the bed. She even goes into the bathroom. Maybe he moved. Where is this strange man living in my son's bedroom? After a while, she looks and looks. She can't find anything, so she calms down. He must have been making it up. So she comes back down the stairs calmly, and her son's eating his cereal, and she says, honey, there's no man in your room. You must be imagining. You must have seen something. There's no man out there. I looked everywhere, and her son replies, Mommy, yes, there is. I moved my clothes hamper out of the way, and I found a pile of dust, and Pastor John said last week that man is made of dust. So there's a man in my room. Human life is fragile. We were made from the dust. Our lives are a vapor, merely a mist. A day is like a thousand years to God. Read through the Bible and you'll be reminded time and time again just how fragile and short our lives really are. Perhaps you've had a time in your life where you've narrowly avoided serious injury or even death. You know, you might... A car goes right past you and almost hits you, and you just have to take a second. All right, I'm okay, right? You've narrowly missed these things. But there are also times where we don't narrowly miss it. And we can experience tragedy when you lose a loved one to a car accident, or to a cancer diagnosis, or to COVID-19, or to a shooting in an elementary school. See, the truth is that tomorrow is promised for no man. We read a verse together during our focus time a few weeks back where James said that it's arrogant to assume that you have more than today. It's arrogant to think that I'll just do it tomorrow when you could actually do it today. Our lives are fragile. We like to think we're invincible and we like to assume we're going to be here tomorrow and we we, we can just put it off. But the truth is our lives are fragile and we desperately need God at every single moment. And this is part of the reason that God put Adam to sleep a little bit later on and took a rib from his side in order to make him a helper, a companion, because we need help in this life. And from that time until now, a big part of marriage is supposed to be helping one another out, to be working together on things. Listen, if you can't be a good teammate to your spouse, if you can't be a good helper to them, then it doesn't matter how hot they are, it doesn't matter how much they make your heart flutter, if you aren't pulling in the same direction, if you're not rowing in the same direction, if you aren't part of the same team, well, you're going to run into some problems. A good spouse is a good helper. That's the way that God intended it to be. That's why he created us together so we could help one another. And the truth is that no one was made to go through this life alone. God created us to be relational people, to help one another out. And if it's not a spouse, then some fr- you need some friends to help you get through the tough times of life or even just life at all. And there will be tough times. Remember last week's object lesson, we had these bundle of sticks where we said that the family of God cannot easily be broken. The individual can snap like that. Without any help, you can be torn apart when you're by yourself. But as you start building up, you see you, Build into your family. As you build into the family of God, it becomes easier, harder and harder for the world to break you. When we give that individual a helper or a whole host of helpers, they can endure so much more. See, human life is so fragile that we can't afford to do life alone. You can think you're doing great, you're flying high in one moment, but a couple weeks later, everything can turn. Everything is so fragile. And whether that fragility comes in the form of a lost loved one or from your own mental and and emotional fragility, we have to see that from the beginning, God has said that we need a helper. From the very beginning, he said that, that we need helpers in our life. Friends, don't try to do this life alone. The world will tell you that it's better to isolate and you can do whatever you want. When you isolate, you can just worry about you, but eventually it all breaks down. In the beginning. In the beginning. When we read the first two chapters of God's word, here's what we learn about life. We learn that all life has intrinsic value. And this should impact how we respect and care for God's creation and all that's in this world. We learn that human life has distinctive worth and this should impact how we treat others and what value we place on all people. All people, regardless of their age or their skin color or their stage of development or their sickness or their problems or their socioeconomic status or where they grew up at and so on and so on, that all people are equally created with the same worth. Listen, we were all made in the image of God. From the beginning, we were on equal footing. And if that's not enough for you, if that doesn't convince you enough that we were all made in the image of God, well then try this on. We are all united under the blood of Jesus. We are all sinners in need of the blood of Jesus. So if Jesus died on the cross for you, then he died on the cross for them too. We learn that human life is fragile. And this should impact how we care for and help one another. And this is why community is so important. You may be sitting here this morning you're like, I'm good. I've got community, I got my family, but there is somebody out there that's trying to do this life alone and they're barely holding on. And they're looking for somebody to come into community with them, to come around them and help them. And they may not know it yet, but they need a helper. Who can we love on? Who can we seek out? Because all human life is fragile. As Christians, we stand up for the lives of babies who have yet to be born. We speak for those who cannot speak for themselves and with good reason. But let us not forget the life that is going on all around us and fight just as hard for that as well. Let's pray. Father God, we come this morning and we read through your creation story and how you just, the, the beautiful things that you've created in this world. And how you just make it all go together. That it ever, the, what you created it this way on purpose. So that everything would go together. And so Father, I just, I, I, I ask that we would be in awe as well that when we step out the door, that we when we see all the colors of this world, when we see all the animals, the plants, that we would be in awe of your creation. But that we would never forget your most important creation, your masterpiece, and that's us. And so if we come here this morning and we are lacking, we feel like we have no worth, I pray that we would hear this, that we would read this and know that we all have worth, that we've all been created in your image, that we all have worth in your eyes. And no matter what the world may say, there is nobody that is worthless. There is nobody without purpose. There's nobody that that you don't have a plan for. And even when the world tears us down, even when other humans say just terrible things to us, the truth remains that there is there's nobody that values us more than you do. That there is no way that you could value us anymore or value us any less based on our actions. That we always hold the utmost value in your eyes and worth in your eyes. So from a personal standpoint, I hope that we would take that and find find hope in that but I also hope that we would the way we look at others would change and when we get angry with people when people disagree with us when we want to hit send on the post on Facebook or on social media that we would stop and say no all human life has been created by you that we are all made in your image whether they agree with us politically whether they look like us whether they're from here or not that all life comes from you, that all of us are created in your image. And because of that, we're all on equal footing, but also that we've all been given this new life through Jesus. And so, Father, I, I, I hope when we talk about the fragility of our lives, I hope we would stop indulging of the things of this world, thinking that we'll get to, to telling others about Jesus later, That we would get rid of those things and say no i need to be telling people about now because i don't i might not have tomorrow perhaps most importantly for those that don't know jesus they might not have tomorrow and so father i pray that we would be intentional about sharing the love of jesus with those that are not in a relationship with him right now because for all the hate and evil that we see in this world as christians at least we have a hope that goes beyond this when we're fighting through the tears, when we're fighting through the things that we have to go through, the troubles of this world, at least somewhere we can say and look and say, I have a hope that goes beyond this, that it hurts right now, but I know that there's more to come. But I pray that we would know, that we would reach out to people that don't know Jesus because they don't have that. And we don't know how much longer we have to tell them about it so I I hope that we'll pray for one I hope that we'll be seeking people to go and tell about your son Jesus because this life is so very fragile Father I thank you so much for making us your masterpiece I thank you for loving us and I thank you for loving your masterpiece so much that you would send your one and only son Jesus to die on the cross so that all of us could have new life through his blood, that our sins would be washed away and that one day we would get to spend eternity with you because he has conquered the grave and he has conquered and overcome this world. I thank you for the amazing grace that comes through that. Most of all, this morning, Father, I thank you for Jesus and for the love that comes from you and from him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we've talked a lot about life this morning how God created life from the very beginning in this man named Adam but we all know kind of what happens next and we'll get to that but eventually because of the choice of Adam sin enters the world the choice of mankind sin enters the world but then Paul tells us where sin entered the world through one man life came to the world salvation came came to the world through another man and Jesus Christ. You don't have that relationship with Jesus this morning. If you've come here and you've never repented of your life of sin and be baptized, well, there's no better day than today. So that you can walk out of here and say, I'll submit. See, we try to keep up with this world a lot and it just tears us down, but we can submit to Jesus and say, my life is in your hands now. And I know that one day, the things of this world may fade away, but I get to spend eternity with my Father in heaven now because Jesus is the only way. So if you've never made that decision, I'll be right down front. I'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to be baptized and we can do it today. I had nine-year-old Jackson just walk right up to me. No family around. Just last week, he sh- it was family Sunday. He's not even normally in here. He walks up and he goes, I want to be baptized. <laughs> cool. <laughs> is your family here? I mean, where'd you come from? You know, like That was amazing to me that he just heard it and was like, I think, yeah, I feel God speaking to me this morning and I want to be baptized. Maybe that's you this morning. Or maybe you just need some prayer this morning. You're going through some things and we said the troubles of this life will come. But our God and our amazing God has also given us the gift of prayer that we can lift up our cares and anxieties and the burdens of this world and put it on him so we can focus on telling others about him. That doesn't make everything go away. It doesn't make all the pain, but it does help to know that God is on your side and he's fighting for you. And so I'd love to pray with you this morning and involve him in whatever situation you might be going through or your family's going through or somebody that you love's going through. And we just pray about it because that's the best thing we can do is lift it up to him. So if you have a decision to make or just need some prayer this morning, I'll be right down front. I'd love to talk to you, but I invite all of us to stand and sing our final song together now.